first podcast for October of 2022. It's the sixth day of October. We welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. Of course, Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So we're, we're glad you chose to, to join us on this podcast, either by our video version, which is on YouTube, or our audio version offered on a number of different platforms. And uh, we want to welcome once again Duncan Giles back to the podcast. Uh, Duncan, of course, is chapter president for NT Chapter 49, and I'm, I'm a lowly volunteer just uh, holding on to the, to the reins here. Duncan, welcome back. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So uh, now that we've hit the fall season and we're ready to uh, get the uh, leaves, at least in our, I guess it, it depends on where you live, but in our part of the country, leaves begin to turn in October. We have certain parts of Indiana where people love to sightsee. They love to look uh, at the changing of the leaves. Uh, are you into any of that? or? Hey, look, a leaf's turning from green to brown. Great. Okay, I think we know your position on that. <laughs> no, I do know that there are an awful lot of people who do appreciate and uh, really enjoy that. So I, my hat's off to them. It's just not my kind of thing. Yeah, I know people who have like moved to Southern California from Indiana or the desert southwest or Florida, and they always say they miss the change of seasons. And that's what they say first. They, they miss the, the leaves changing and just all that. But I'm kind of on your side on that one. But that, that's that, that's okay. Well, we best get to business because we have a lot of business to discuss. You and I both came out of accounts management. That's where people answer the phone calls that are placed to IRS for help. Uh, one thing that goes all the way back to when I started in toll-free in 1986 has been what does the service do when people need time off during the tax filing season, which for the most part begins uh, in after New Year's and goes through the uh, tax deadline, which had traditionally been April 15th, but it tends to move around a little bit. It's usually mid-April now. So my question to you is, uh, you've been hearing some rumors about how leave is going to be handled in the coming tax filing season. So uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, I got uh, dropped over my transom uh, very early this morning, uh, something that went out to a bunch of folks last night, apparently, in, uh, in the IRS realm of accounts management. And basically, it said that uh, it looks like they're going, they're thinking about, and I sure as heck hope they don't actually do this, they're thinking about denying all annual leave. Uh, for the filing season period. I can't imagine a decision that would be uh, more of a definition of penny-wise, pound-foolish than that would be. You know, that's what I'm hearing. I'm sorry, Doug. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought you were done there. I, I uh, One thing that gets me is I've been re- reading the tax press here lately, and you know, Secretary Yellen, the Commissioner Reddick, uh, some of the bigwigs uh, in government that oversee IRS have been testifying before Congress, and they're they're saying how much better the service will be from the IRS, be it uh, the walk-in or uh, the field assistance service where people walk in for help face to face, the telephone calls, other services provided by by IRS. They're really building this up to say, hey, we're we're going to we're going to 
gear up and we're going to do a better job this time. Is there a danger that perhaps people at the top, and I'm not talking about necessarily Secretary Yellen or even Commissioner Reddick, are there people you know, in that command chain who maybe are saying, you know, we're not absolutely sure we can deliver this like in just a few months? I think there has to be because of the fact when Secretary Yellen said, okay, we're going to have an 85% level of service, she didn't pull that number out of thin air. She had to talk to uh, some people here at the service, and whoever told her that we could give her 85% level of service, uh, I don't know what their definition of is, is, if we want to paraphrase something from long ago. Because with the bodies, even with the bodies we have now, you're not going to hit it. So to say, okay, well, we'll just make sure everybody is here. So, you know, to me, this is one of the most counterproductive moves you can have you're going to basically anybody that's new is going to hear this and say, I can't get any time off while I'm looking for another job. If you're on the fence about retiring, well, that'll probably push you over. Um, people won't want to apply here once they hear about this and hear their friends and relatives grumbling because you know they've been told this. Now, of course, sick leave, things like FMLA, they don't have a choice. They have to allow it. But you're, you know, I think that's going to hurt your level of service much more than it would ever help your level of service. Well, and, and as we understand it, this this is something that is that's being talked about, and uh, we don't know if it will actually be implemented. I think the message you and I, from our experience, having worked in, in a toll-free operation uh, between us many, many years— would have to say, I hope the management just thinks this idea through, whether this really will, as a policy, improve service, or will you be caught you know, behind a rock in a hard place? Yeah, I mean, this is there are so many different variables to play in this. And National NTU, believe you me, I made them aware as soon as I was aware of what was going on. But, you know, let's think this through. If a management official, I'm assuming this is going to apply to non-bargaining unit folks as well, because if a management official wants to take some time off during filing season, well, somebody's going to have to act for them, and then somebody's going to have to act for that person, and it's eventually going to come down to somebody who's on the phone is going to have to be taken off the phone to act for someone. And again, does that mean no nobody who is NBU is going to be able to take leave as well? Um, you know, I don't think that they've thought a lot of this through. Um, like I said, National NTU is very well aware of this and I'm sure is expressing the pitfalls of this to the powers that be in accounts management. Um, so more to come on it. But again, this at this point is just rumors that I've heard, but it was pretty strong rumor based on the email that I saw. So what you're saying is the employees have not been notified of this, yet uh, there are people in the upper management who are letting NTU know and letting each other know, just based on the, some of the traffic uh, you've seen on email, that that's the intent at this time. At least that's that seems to be the case. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And, you know, that's what I really appreciate is there, you know, there's some, uh, there are a lot of good executives out there. Uh, in the service. And a lot of them like to let me know things if they think it's not right. And so something along this line I can see is not right. They can see it was not right. And they want light shined on this. And I think that's a great thing to do to try and make sure that, um, 
you know, we stop something from starting to roll down the hill before it can be stopped. Now, I'm going to ask you this question based upon the fact that you negotiated the customer service agreement, which is still in effect for the call centers. You also served on the, another team that uh, negotiated the national agreement, which is, is now in, in effect. Uh, based on this proposal that you, of which you are aware at this time, would this proposal be consistent with the contracts that NTU and IRS have signed so far? I don't believe so. It's certainly not the intent. It's absolutely not the spirit, if not the letter. And if they're going by the letter, I can tell you that um, I have taken a look at the um, at the sections in both the customer service agreement and the 2022 national agreement that would fall under this. And I don't believe either one of these is the intent to paint with this wide swath that they're looking at doing. I, I do not believe that. And I don't think it would be upheld by an arbitrator, but that process takes a long time. And it, it would just be so much better if they would come to us pre-decisionally and say, look, we're having this awful problem. We're trying to do this. You know, what what suggestions do you have instead of finding out about it piecemeal? Well, are there any other parts of the service that are looking into something like this, or do you have any any inkling of that? I haven't uh, I haven't heard anything like it at this point. Um, I you know, so you just never know what's going to <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. I had no idea this was going to be dropped on me this morning. Um, but hopefully cooler heads will prevail. Um, they will take a look at this and realize while it may seem good on the surface, it's not a smart idea in practicality and, um, back off of this and no other part of the service, uh, would want to jump on that. Okay. So something we'll keep an eye on uh, as we move forward. Let's move along. And unfortunately we don't have a lot of good news in the first few items we have here. The next one has to do with the national grievance that has been filed. We placed uh, that information on our Facebook page recently, which is NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. But uh, the national grievance has to do with this thing called the surge. What the surge is, is taking people from one part of the service and having them work on this large backlog of, of paper inventory. And from everything I've seen, the management has been very, very uh, praise, uh, praiseworthy. The people have been praiseworthy. The, the, the management's been praising the, uh, the people who have been working on this, the people who have uh, been able to wither down that uh, paper inventory with a lot of hard work and being away from their own jobs, often against their will. But NT's been taking a look at the contracts and the law that apply here. And once... Um, this was extended after October 31st. Is that October 31st? Anyways, no, September, the end of September. So now that the management is saying this surge will continue until the end of the calendar year, as we understand it now. Explain what this national grievance is all about and what NT says IRS has not uh, followed in terms of the law and the contract. Yeah, basically when this was brought to us, again, it was we were doing impact and implementation bargaining, which means we weren't brought into the start. IRS said we're going to do this instead of letting us know months ahead where we could sit down, plan the best course of action, 
and make sure that everything's being done correctly. IRS said, okay, we're doing these first surge and now we're doing the second surge that deals with 1040Xs and we're going to go forward with this. Well, we eventually negotiated something that basically said it would go to the end of uh, the fiscal year, which would have been the end of September. Um, IRS has said then, okay, now it's going to say, okay, we still have this huge backlog. We're going to need to go to uh, the end of the calendar year. Now, I've been hearing rumors the last couple of days uh, in my own call site, and I'm assuming that my counterparts across the country are hearing the same thing, that the surge was going to go to the end of the calendar year. The surge was going to be ending in mid-November. You know, uh, there's so many rumors flying around, but what we've heard is the fact that they want to go to the end of the calendar year, and National NTU said this was not the way that it was supposed to be done if you decided to do this. There were supposed to be consultations, discussions, things of that nature. That just didn't happen, and so that's why we filed a national grievance on this issue. All right, so um, at this point, it would appear that those people who were detailed away from their regular jobs, and we've talked in past podcasts what impact this could have on employees, you know, on their evaluations, on their ability to uh, have the opportunity to be promoted, especially with the IRS going on some hiring sprees based on what we know now. So based on, on all that, uh, NTU has pushed this onto a grievance because basically they – Management has not done what they had uh, committed to do. There have been no that really have. There's been no back and forth. It's just here's what we're going to do. Let's bargain on how we're going to do it. Am I hearing that correctly? You are hearing that absolutely correctly. And again, we find out about this kind of stuff a lot of times third and fourth hand, which again is not the way to do it. We're not looking to be co decision makers, anything like that. But pre decisional involvement where you have discussions about how this might, you know, what you're looking to get, but not realizing the implications of some of this is something that we always push for and is at times sorely lacking with the IRS, which is just sad because so many problems could be solved with pre-decisional discussions and input. But, uh, you know, like in this case, we didn't get that. Well, I'm going back to my historical memory here. When Charles Rosati was commissioner of of the IRS, when he went through a huge reorganization, and it was a big reorganization where we got rid of all the districts and and went to different uh, management changes, it was a huge different way of doing business as an as an agency. And what I remember is that Rosati brought in NTEU, brought in all sorts of bargaining unit people, and they worked for months to get that plan in place. Everybody had a little something in it. And it was it was hard to, to to swallow this big change, but it was easier to swallow because employees were so much involved in the final decisions. Compare that with today, where employees are sold, basically told, "Here is the decision, live with it." And I think that's really the underlying theme of the last couple of uh, things we've just talked about. Yeah, and it goes to. Uh, crisis management is not the way to go about things. You want to try and plan as much as possible. Are things going to come up? Absolutely. But doing crisis management as a standard way of doing business and then having to, you know, suffer the aftermath of that, including 
negotiations, grievances, arbitrations, um, harm to your employees, harm to the taxpayers, things of that nature, because it wasn't well thought out, is just sad. It really is. It's it's sad, and it could be run uh, so much better and easier for everyone concerned. Well, sadly, the parade of bad news continues because when we talk about the new health insurance premiums, FEHB, the Federal Employee Health Benefit Plan, uh, uh, we've just had the announcement from OPM, which manages that whole thing, that the average raise increase in the premiums for next year will be 8.7%. Of course, you, there's lots of individual plans in there. Some will go down a bit, but most of them are going up. The uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield plan, uh, which is the most popular one, I think, if I understand correctly, is going to be even higher than 8.7%. So uh, there's a lot to consider here. Duncan, and there's been an awful lot said, or a lot of union officials uh, in the federal sector, including uh, our president nationally, Tony Reardon, has been quoted in the national press and in the uh, federal employee media outlets, uh, very critical of of this. And uh, But I think the one thing we have to keep in mind is, as a union, we can sur- do what we can, but there's not a lot we, as a union, can do about this uh, except uh, continue to push for changes in this system, which there have been efforts to do that, and uh, it hasn't changed for decades. So just tell us what you know about this average 8.7% increase in health insurance premiums for next year. Yeah, as you said, um, Tony and other union leaders have you know said, there are ways that we can bring these costs down, ways that we can negotiate better, things of that nature, but that would take congressional approval to change how the FEHB, the Federal Employee Health Benefit Plan, is run, and that has not happened yet. What I would urge people to do, and we'll talk more about this during open season, but please, 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 for the sake of you, your family, and most importantly, your pocketbook, compare plans. Don't just say, well, I've had this big plan forever. It's been the most popular plan. You mentioned it earlier. Um, You know, I'm just going to stick with this one. Well, you know, there are a lot of similar plans out there that you can find that will give you the same coverage for a heck of a lot less premium money. Uh, you know, the same type of deductibles, the same type of uh, prescription plans, those types of things. So you absolutely want to shop around. NTU members get to use, once open season comes, the consumer's checkbook, which we do every year, which has all the information for the um, different insurance plans, which is a wonderful, wonderful tool to look at to compare that. You find out some plans that might work for you. You contact your primary doctor's office. Do you accept this insurance? And if they say yes, then you're good to go. You're saving yourself some money, but still protecting yourself and your family. And uh, that's something to keep in mind. And one thing I want to remind people about, and you said this, there'll be an open season coming up in just a few weeks, and we'll talk more about it then. But that uh, consumer checkbook that you mentioned, if you're not a member of NTEU and you go out there and buy that, you have to pay for it. As an NTEU member, you get that benefit of that checkbook, which gives you a chance to compare all of these programs and gives you a chance to see what's best for you. Absolutely, Larry. It's one of the benefits... One of the many benefits of being a member of uh, NTU, and I can tell you from personal experience, that's come in very, very handy, and I use it now every year to take a look at plans, make sure that I'm on the right one, 
for myself and uh, just just to want to make sure that I'm getting the best value for my money. Well, let's talk about something else now. This uh, is something we try to remind our people about who are members of NTEU. We do it every so often, and we want to do it again, that uh, when you change your address, and people move all the time, right? That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. If you stay in one place, that's fine. And if you move a lot, that's also fine. But whenever you move, you are required to tell your employer, the IRS in this case, what your new address will be. And you figure, okay, that's that's all I need to do. If you're a member of NTEU, that's not the only thing you need to do. IRS does not notify NTEU of your change of address. You need to, excuse me, you need to notify NTEU when your address changes. And Duncan, it's really a very easy thing to do, isn't it? It absolutely is on the NTEU.org website. And it's, it's something that I get members all the time. I've not gotten anything from NTU, or I didn't receive this, or I didn't receive that. And the first question I always ask is, have you moved recently? Well, yeah. I let the IRS know. Well, unfortunately, like you said, the IRS doesn't let national NTU know, so we're still using your old address. So, yeah, I would urge anybody that's not getting the materials that they usually do or is uh, moved recently, go on NTU.org. Very simple to do a change of address on that. Uh, you know, just a few simple steps and you're done. You don't, you know, don't even need an email. It's just basically click on a few buttons, put your new address in, and it's taken care of. It's very important for several reasons. One is that there are a lot of very informative mailings you get regularly from our NTEU national office. They do a very good job of sending out these really nicely done newsletters, other mailings that uh, that you would want to receive from the National Union as well. And at Chapter 49, when we conduct our uh, local elections, they are all uh, done by mail. So you need to have a current mailing address. Now, there's not a, an election this year. There will be next year, I believe, if I remember correctly. So I guess that there are many reasons why you should keep your address. And even if your email address doesn't change, you need to have your mailing address, right. your snail mail address uh, up to date. Correct, Duncan? Well put. A absolutely great reasons for that. And so, yeah, please, please go on the NTU.org website if you think there's a chance that we have your incorrect address and uh, you can do it very easily. You know, Duncan, last week when you and I were talking on the podcast, we had one of our many cliffhangers because we, we were on recording this, and I try really hard to get the recordings up online as quickly as I can, but at the time we were recording it, uh, the Senate had passed a continuing resolution to keep the government funded. Uh, it had uh, it was in the House, I believe, the day we recorded it, and the president was poised to sign the uh, CR, which we call it, Continuing Resolution to Fund the Government. It was all done in time before the end of the fiscal year, just by a few hours, uh, unfortunately. As, again, this happens way too often. The good news is we have funding. The bad news is the funding is only for 10 weeks, and it's based on last year's budget, which, of course, is, is a cut, when you're particularly as, as inflation hits everyone. So uh, we do want to warn people to keep, we're going to keep an eye on this for you, but uh, we are hoping the budgets will be completed within uh, the, this 10-week period, but we are in an election year. The entire House is up and, and one-third of the Senate. So 
Um, you know, people are out campaigning and maybe doing that more than being in Washington to get the budgets done. So we just want to warn people that, um, that we will keep an eye on it. Hopefully the budgets will be done in plenty of time, but if they're not, we will certainly let you know. Yeah, this is one of those things where kicking the can down the road uh, to close to the holidays. And we hope that, like you said, we hope that um, that they're getting this, especially in the Senate. The uh, the chairperson and the ranking member of the budget committee are both retiring and they've said they'd like to get this done basically as their you know farewell retirement, whatever. I, I think it would just be great to do as part of their regular job, but that's just me. Um, but, yeah, we want to make sure that uh, we keep you informed because we do not want to have a shutdown around the holidays. We went through that a few years ago. And for those of you who didn't go through it, it was no fun. And for those who did, you know how tough that was. So we don't want a repeat of that. We're hoping that Congress will be able to do their work, get this done. So we will have a updated budget for the rest of the fiscal year. So, well, yeah, that's, you know, and you, you said it well, Duncan. We talked, uh, I think, last week about something called regular order. So <laughs> does it really take the impending retirement of the chairperson and ranking person on that committee to get it done? Well, I'm glad that's their goal. At least they're committed to it. That's one good sign. But aren't sh- your, your question is a good one. Shouldn't they be committing to it for every year? <laughs> Just my crazy thought. You know, so, somebody asked me once, you know, Indiana, the state of Indiana, uh, does what's what's called a biennial budget, which means the state of Indiana's legislature passes a budget that's good for two years. So they only have their budget session once every two years. Wouldn't the federal government be better off doing that? I'm not sure that would help. I think, <laughs> I think it would be just as bad. What do you think? I Unfortunately, I think it would be, too. It's almost like twice the trouble. Because you'd have people coming back and saying, oh, no, now we have to revise it. And, and then you'd have a cantankerous argument over that. And so, yeah, unfortunately, I see the logic of it, but I don't think it would solve the issues that we have right now in getting our budgets passed. Yeah, and I think in a changing world, as we have so rapidly changing, it would be hard to adjust. And it's hard enough to adjust with annual budgets, but with a two-year budget, you can't always look that far down and, and uh, as far as knowing what's going to happen i think that's uh, that's an issue i got it's time for our final comments and i'm going to start the final comments so i'm going to ask this how many of you people watching and listening right now have ever heard of indigenous people's day well it's fair oh you have good duncan uh it's something <laughs> that's fairly new glad you raised your hand i feel like a teacher again uh, <laughs> The uh, Indigenous Peoples Day is what some people call what Columbus Day. Now, Columbus Day has been a federal holiday as far back as I can remember, and it's 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 celebrated in October, and it's, it's we're going to be celebrating that soon. And I just wanted uh, to say that uh, I saw uh, an article on uh, National Public Radio that was posted on their website, and one of their journalists tried to figure out because how many localities call this something other than Columbus Day. For example, the Washington, D.C. City Council officially changed the name of Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. It's still a holiday, just like it's always been. It's just called something different. There's some, they say at least 10 states call Columbus Day something else. Not everybody uh, celebrates it as a holiday for their employees where they have the day off. 
But uh, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, Columbus is looked at a little differently, a different historical prism than when you and I were in school. And and, and the people who were indigenous to this country say, we've got a story to tell, too. Why don't you tell ours as well? And whether that's good or bad, I'll let I'll leave that up to you. But I just find it uh, an interesting movement that we've seen in, in recent years. So that's my final comment, Duncan. Yeah, I, I will chime in on this one. I have uh, called it for the last couple of years Indigenous People Day as well um, instead of Columbus Day. I just, you know, like you said, what we were taught in school was one thing. What you find out doing uh, proper research on, you know, historical facts that, you know, these folks, you know, Columbus didn't really discover anything. And these folks were here for thousands of years before the Columbus game. So, you know. I think they should be honored with that day. And that's why I always choose to call it that. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just glad that our hardworking folks will be able to take, uh, Monday the 11th off for that. Yeah. I, there was a, an academic at some university that said that, uh, we all need to be a little careful, uh, with doing some of these things. He calls it presentism. What he's saying is we're, we're looking at things that happen centuries ago and looking at it through a lens of today when the world of like two, three centuries ago was, was quite different than it is today. So he said, we, he's not saying that it's wrong. He said, let's, let's just be a little careful. Like there are certain school systems that are taking Abraham Lincoln's name off of, uh, off of schools. Are we going too far, you know, in what he calls presentism? It's an interesting debate. I'm not taking a position, but find it interesting because I'm kind of a student of history and seeing people argue. Maybe I just love seeing people argue, Duncan. I don't know. Without even, (laughs) without having to make it. Well, I try and, I try and calm those arguments. So I'm almost the other way, but a good spirited debate with uh, intellectual ideas and facts is never a bad thing. And you've been you've been bargaining many contracts, so you never see that, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> never see arguments. Yeah, be, being somebody who watches the argument and trying to settle it down may be the the as this what is it, the peacemaker shall inherit the earth, right, Duncan? <laughs> Duncan Giles, thank you very much. Uh, we'll if all works well, we'll be back again next week. Uh, with another Chapter Forty Nine podcast. Once again, I want to thank everyone for watching and listening. It's the only reason Duncan and I take time out of our weeks uh, to prepare for, do the production on this podcast is because of those of you who have let us know that you enjoy listening, you enjoy watching. Neither one of us can figure out why you enjoy watching, but we're glad you do anyway. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's just good to be able to talk about all the news and items that might be of interest to you, people who are working at IRS. And we have people outside of IRS who work for the federal government and do consume this podcast. And we, hey, anyone's welcome to listen or watch. But in the meantime, we thank you again for being a part of this. And please be safe and be kind. Be kind.